The preseason is underway in the Ontario Hockey League, and the totally unexpected is happening already. The defending champion Hamilton Bulldogs are 2-0. Settle down. It's preseason hockey. The unexpected, though, is happening as well, and that is everybody is mad at the London Knights. So I think we're in mid-season form as we're early into the Ontario Hockey League preseason. I'm Mike Farwell. Dan Mahar is over there. Welcome back to another episode of the OHL podcast. Uh, Please like, subscribe, tell a friend about it. Send us an email anytime. If there's a guest you want to hear from, an idea you've got, or some constructive criticism you want to share, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Dan, we've got a lot to chew on with this episode alone, but before we get into it, I'm going to throw you... I was going to say a curveball. Maybe this is chin music because I didn't I didn't prepare you for this, but I know you're going to have an opinion. So just roll with it. OK, absolutely. OK, before we sat down to record today's episode, I want to take you back to earlier in the day. My family and I were in a small Ontario town looking for a place to eat lunch. Now, for the record, if you've tried to eat lunch in any small town, I was on a vacation mid-August in some small towns in the United States. It's hard to find restaurants that are actually open It in the evening, on Sundays, I guess staffing post-pandemic is a little bit of a challenge. So keep that in mind. Nonetheless, we found a chain restaurant to eat at in this small Ontario town earlier today. It is a restaurant. I'm not here to name drop <coughs> Harvey's. It's a restaurant that's known for its hamburgers. The slogan even used to tell you that they make your hamburger a beautiful thing. And the order that was placed before ours in this hamburger chain restaurant was, I would like this with this, this, and that topping, but no bun. Thank you very much. And I ask you this, Dan Mahar, I ask you this. Have we reached, is that an indication that we have made our way to peak entitlement as a society of human beings? You go to a hamburger chain but you want your hamburger without the bun. Here's a thought. Don't go to the hamburger chain for lunch. That's all. No, I'm with you. I, like, I, I think this is <laughs> totally a sign of the apocalypse. Who does that? I mean, yeah, uh, there's so much I could say. This could take up the whole half hour. Uh, suffice it to say, I'm with you 100%. You do not go into Harvey's and ask for a hamburger with no bun. You just I just, I, I don't, like, honestly, I, I, like, I think that's over the top with the, I need it done just my way. You're in a hamburger. Like, please tell me, there are other places you could go to just get a piece of meat. If you wanted to, you could even go to the grocery store and buy your own. I don't understand going into the restaurant. These poor people behind the counter must have been wondering, okay, so lettuce, tomato, mayo, ketchup, mustard, and the piece of meat. No, like it's it's Harvey's people. It's It's for hamburgers. Honest to goodness. They're, they're overthinking it, Mike. They're overthinking it. Okay. As long as we're on the same page with that. I don't want to let this episode slide either without, before we get into why everybody's mad at the London Knights, and perhaps incorrectly in this case, but we'll get to it. Uh, I don't want to let this episode slide without you talking about your experience at the preseason game in Kitchener on Sunday, because much like people were in front of me in line at Harvey's today, there was somebody behind you in line buying tickets when David Jesus and the Niagara Ice Dogs came into the odd to play the Rangers. And so, sorry, who was buying the tickets behind you? Uh, it was Mary and Joseph. 
I, at least as my understanding, it was <laughs> it was Jesus's parents. So that's how who I'm led to believe. So gotta be that, that who was that's who was there. Uh, I didn't introduce myself, but they they seemed busy. But uh, they were looking for a place to stay for the night. I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> If only we could have had a good manger to recommend. Well played, sir. Uh, in case you couldn't tell, Dan and I ran into each other at the game and uh, Dan dropped that line on me. He says, yeah, Mary and Joseph were behind me in line buying tickets. And what? Jesus's parents. I'm like, oh, that's good. And I, I, I made a note right then. That is going to make it to air because that's if you're not coming here for the hockey, come here for the comedy. And again, we're open for reviews on either bit of content, OHL podcast at rogers.com. Uh, one more thing I think we should note, and I have a feeling much like the Harvey's experience, Dan, you're going to agree with me on this, but as the preseason got underway and teams started playing against one another this past weekend, let's hear it for the girls, shall we? Lacey Senek uh, refs the Mississauga-Guelph game in Missy on Friday and then back in Guelph for the storm home end of that back-to-back Hillary Brennan was the ref uh, along with Marlo Schott who worked the lines and I know you're going to agree with me on this Dan it's so great to see women finally should I say I think getting their due in the Ontario Hockey League and really the game more broadly yeah 100% I think this the more we see this normalized the better and we talked about this huge talent pool that's out there largely ignored for for decades and here we go and uh just to tie into that and my shirt can't really get on camera here but this is a little little nod to the women who won the world championship just the other day and and what what a game what did the the canadian women deserve all their due i'm not even going to reference the hockey canada nonsense right now because this is about their moment i don't want anything to detract from that um as usual rope doped the americans in the round robin came back hard in the final and won it. And uh, yeah, so it all ties together that uh, that the contributions women are making to the game right now are just increasing. And I think that's only a good thing. Yeah, I, I ran into uh, a longtime member of the league when I came into that preseason game at the odd on the weekend. And that was the first thing we talked about was having the women on the ice as officials. And I got to say, when I think about it now, I just, I kind of shake my head and say, or ask, what took so long? Like, how did how did it take so long for this to happen? Because what do you need by way of ability to do the job? You need to be able to skate and you need to understand the rules so that you can call them. And last time I checked, women can do that just as well as, as guys can. So it's about damn time as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah. And uh, you, you hear a lot of hooey over the years, things like, oh, well, are women going to be able to handle the fights and these big bodies when they're together and pull people apart? Well, you can find a lot of baloney excuses to suggest that they're not capable of the job. I think this is just proving in spades that they are. And we can throw out all that nonsense we've heard over the years. They're just as capable. They're here. They're proving it. And this is, this is great moving forward. It takes us back to uh, November of 2021. So just under a year ago, Kirsten Welsh became uh, the first woman to officiate. She was a liney for a regular season game, and that one was a Rangers-Owen Sound affair back in November of 21. And if you know anything about that season series last year, uh, there was some bad blood. So Kirsten Welsh had her work cut out for her. She did just fine. So having seen Lacey Senek, uh, Hillary Brennan, and Marlo Schott in preseason action, can't wait to see the first woman in a regular season game again this year. Again, it just seems to be about time. It, it must be OHL time again, because fans, I got to 
I got a message, Dan, not long after uh, the deal was announced saying, how does London keep getting away with this? And I said, pump your brakes just a little bit. I don't think the Knights are necessarily getting away with something here, but the reality is that the fourth overall pick in this year's OHL draft, which went to the Niagara Ice Dogs in the form of Sam Dickinson, is now a member of the London Knights. Many, including the Knights, claim that Dickinson was the best defenseman available in the Ontario Hockey League draft, and now the Knights have him. But it comes at a price. I'll just start with you in the high-level way here. Your take on Dickinson's defection, if you will, from Niagara. Okay, well, if I could start with just that piece about everyone's angry at the Knights. The Knights seem to end up with all these guys, cook deals, backroom stuff, whatever you want to call it. Here, here's the thing. So back in the day, this might have transpired as player says he's not going to report to anyone except London. London spends an eighth rounder on him and, oh, miraculously, he's at camp. What was the league? So here you have teams wising up, and you've seen a number of times over the last few years, uh, and the Ice Dogs did it, where they say, you know, we're going to select the player. London wants him. They can come get him, and they're going to pay a price. So so you have a bit of a, uh, a scenario here unfolding where London paid a, a dearly in picks to get the player. So the Ice Dogs make out well. They have a defected player that they they can't draft. And, and I will just say that a lot of the complaints are – you know, you have uh, a player that doesn't want to play in a certain market or demands to play in one or one of two markets or something like that. They shouldn't be allowed to play at all. You go where you're drafted. And if you don't go where you're drafted, they report you defected. They get a compensatory pick and the player goes back in the draft. That's what I hear a lot. So keep in mind the OHL, CHL are all about recruitment, getting the best talent in the league. So they will look at having these players more heavily weighted into the Londons and other cities like that as the lesser of two evils versus having them go to the States and play in competing leagues. So that said, I, I think the system right now at least compensates those teams fairly. The, the only issue I will have, and I'll leave it at this for now to turn it back to your thoughts is I don't like that the teams get the compensatory pick as well as the boatload of picks for the player. It seems a little bit like double dipping. And the only, the only one that really loses in this system are the other 18 teams who had nothing to do with it because their pick drops a, a slot based on that compensatory pick. So it, it slightly unfairly punishes the other teams. So I don't love that about it, um, but at least we have a system now where those players are showing up in the league and there's proper compensation of the team who didn't get the player. Uh, that said, uh, I think we're all going to benefit from watching Dickinson in the league. Uh, uh, so I'm not sure what your thoughts are there, but uh, that's my take. Well, there is a part of me, and it's it's not too small a part, maybe maybe 25%, let's say, that that subscribes to the idea that it's a privilege to play this game. It's certainly a privilege to play this game in the Ontario Hockey League with all of the eyes that are on you and the development that you can achieve with virtually any of the clubs in the league. So there's a there's a part of me that says, you know what? You should go where you're drafted. But I, I think you're bang on the money, Dan, when you talk about the Ontario Hockey League and the Canadian Hockey League, looking at this as the lesser of two evils insofar as would we rather have this player in our league or would we rather have this player in the United States somewhere? And obviously the answer to that is we want this player in our league. The other point, and, and again, it's well taken the impact on the other 18 teams, as as you point out here. But this happens rarely enough. 
that for me, I don't think it's something that we have to start sounding alarm bells over. If this was a regular occurrence, okay. But I think really the greater attention is on it this time around because which team does it involve? Oh, the London Knights end up landing a game-changing player. Well, get in line every single year with every single draft. You could talk about the London Knights landing a game-changing player, whether it be through the entry draft, whether it be through a trade, you name it. But I want to go back to something you touched on in terms of the boatload of picks. And this is the thing where I pushed back against that first fan that said to me, how does London get away with this? I, I wouldn't say that London or any team that acquires Sam Dickinson in this case is getting away in quotes with anything. It was seven picks, seven picks, three seconds, three thirds, and a fifth rounder go to Niagara in exchange for Sam Dickinson. Plus the ice dogs get that compensatory pick fifth overall next year that you already alluded to. So for a team that has just gone through what the ice dogs have gone through sanctions here, sanctions, there, ownership change, rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. I think it's the ice dogs that kind of get away with something in the final analysis. Oh, hundred percent. That's, that's the thing. If you're, you're selecting the player strategically, likely knowing he wasn't going to report, but you know, you get the compensatory pick next year and you get all those picks that London paid. So it's hard to look at this deal and say, wow, London really got away with murder here. London paid a fair price, whether you like it or not, they paid a, they paid a hefty price to get the player. Sure. They get access to some players that other franchises may not. Um, Having said that, Niagara Ice Dogs made out the best of anyone in this in this situation, and it's only going to strengthen their club going forward, which strengthens the league going forward. Which it, it, you can you can spin this however however you want, but at least we're seeing some fair compensation for these players now shifting allegiances. I don't know if this is going to make anyone feel better, but when this trade occurred, it did remind me, of course of the famous trade about a decade ago that also involved the London Knights when Max Domi was the player that would not report. Now, by all accounts back in 2011, the Frontenacs deliberately drafted Domi knowing, and I think the whole league knew that Max Domi wanted to play in London. So I think looking back, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, was Darren Keeley. I should have checked. I think Darren Keeley was still the GM in Kingston at the time. Nonetheless, no, or was Gil Gilmore was the GM in Kingston at the time, or just a head coach. Either way, doesn't matter. Uh, they were always, they were a team for a lot of the time, uh, Gilmore and Keeley. Nonetheless, they did that, I think, with intent, knowing that London wanted Domi and would not stand for any other team having him, and Domi was going to defect. But just to give you some understanding here of the way the prices have increased, Three seconds is what London had to pay Kingston back in 2011 for Max Domi. Then the Fronts get that compensatory pick the following year. And what becomes really interesting then, and this is where I'm not sure that that people are going to think this is, I don't think it's going to make anybody feel any better, but Kingston drafted that next year, Listowel's Roland McEwen, and then Sam Bennett in the first round. And then they, so they had these four picks in the top 30, but those two first rounders, McEwen and Sam Bennett, and everybody was talking about the Kingston Frontenacs have made out like bandits here. They've built this team, four picks in the top 30 in that 2012 draft. Here come the fronts. And of course the fronts did what the fronts have historically done and fell short in the playoffs. So I don't know what makes you feel any better now, but just think of three seconds in 2011, three seconds, three thirds and a fifth in 2022. 
that's the difference in prices for about a decade ago. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's a, that's a great point, Mike, a great example. I mean, you can, you can look at a few of those trades now that have happened like uh, Victor Mete is another one where strategically Owen Sound said, you know, we know players not coming here. We know he's going to report to London strategically. We say, you know, we don't necessarily need our first round pick this year based on the way our, our roster is composed. So Let's do it. Let's take them. Let's flip them to London, get the picks and be that much better off for a year or two down the road when we can start accumulating these players through the draft. So it's a strategy that teams can now start to employ and say, you know, fine, you want to go to London, you want to go to Kitchener, you want to go to Windsor, wherever. We're going to make you pay. We hold this pick. We can we can forego the player this year and, and do it strategically. And like you point out with Kingston, and I would argue that in the post-Mete era that the Owen Sound attack have done pretty well and become a pretty uh, decent place to play as well. So it just strengthens the league when you have uh, these prices um, rising, I guess, for these teams that that can move these players. Rumor has it, and it's it's just rumor because I've, I don't have the, uh, the security clearance to talk to any of these gentlemen, but rumor has it that Max Domi and or pardon me, Ty Domi and Doug Gilmore don't talk to one another anymore because Ty was so pissed off that Doug in the front next took Max in that draft knowing he wanted to go to London. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. I know for certain I don't want to be on Ty Domi's bad side. I probably don't want to be on Doug Gilmore's bad side either. But it is interesting when you bring up the the Mete situation that there seems to be uh, a tendency for that for the London Knights to be on the receiving end of these top end players for whatever reason. But I guess they create an environment. And when you follow the story a little bit closer and you get into uh, Dave Gagne, whose son Sam played for the London Knights and is very close, was an assistant coach with the team, et cetera. Gagne's connection to Dickinson. He obviously knows Gagne as the player rep, what the London Knights can provide organizationally to best develop Sam Dickinson into a future NHLer and all of the untold riches that come along with that. Yeah. And, and we all know the London Knights have a lot more resources than some teams. And, and that, that might be unfair. That might be uh, not equal, might create some, some issues and some jealousy and some, some rage. And, and certainly you don't like that, that behind the scenes imbalance, but you also have to tip your cap to teams that provide those resources to players and develop them. Frankly, like the London Knights have a pretty good track record of developing pros. And that's why a lot of kids will want to play there and you can say what you want about conjecture and rumors about what else might happen behind the scenes. But the bottom line is these players want to be pros. They want to be NHLers and you have a franchise with a very good track record of creating that. So it's an environment. A lot of players and agents will want to seek out if they want to consider the OHL. So are we going to land here in this conversation, Dan, on the side that we're okay with the way this rule is structured right now until or unless it becomes something we see happen with greater frequency? Because I I feel like that's kind of where we ended up. I get why people get pissed off because, of course, it's the London Knights and they get a, a really strong player out of this, arguably the best defenseman available in the draft. They didn't pick fourth, but they're getting that pick. Uh, if this was happening every year and teams were, because again, I honestly, I think Niagara is the big winner here. That, I, I can't see this being anything other than a win for the Ice Dogs organization. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it's close, close to an ideal situation now. The, the only tweak I would make, which I referenced earlier, is I would, I, I don't love seeing the heavy dip, double dipping where the team gets the compensatory pick one slot lower than they drafted, plus the boatload of picks. 
so assuming we're not going to entirely remove the compensatory pick, which I think would be fair, assuming you're getting a good return like that, have one or the other, they want to keep the compensatory pick at least perhaps slotted the way the NHL does where end of round. So you picked them in the first round, you get a sandwich pick between the first and second round. So you're not drastically impacting the other 18 teams and saying, you know, you were picking six, sorry, now you're picking seven. At least your first round stays untouched. They get a compensatory pick that's still of good value between the first and second rounds, plus your picks acquired in the in the trade. So that for me would be the ideal scenario, but perhaps I'm splitting hairs. I think we're pretty close to a scenario that works. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not positive you're splitting hairs there because that does make a lot of sense to me. That sandwich pick between the rounds, it's still a compensatory first rounder, right? You're getting a 21st pick for all intents and purposes. And to your point earlier, you're not negatively impacting even by one slot in the draft, the other 18 teams who had absolutely nothing to do with any of this. Hey, North Bay, you were not involved in this. Hey, Flint, you had nothing to do with this. Your pick next year will not be impacted. Unfortunately, the case is right now that those picks will be impacted. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And, and you know, you, you talk about it being a rarity right now, which is true, but hypothetically this becomes a strategy and you know two three four teams start using it a year suddenly those your pick slides three or four picks in the first then it becomes becomes more important so so that's one tweak i would like to see i'm not sure how realistic it is to see it but it would remove that air of double dipping you're seeing from these teams moving players i think when i look back it was uh the fourth and the twelfth picks that Kingston got in 11 in and around there anyway, when they got McEwen and, and Bennett in the first round. But the other thing is, again, it's hypothetical and there are 68 regular season games to play still and who knows what the playoffs hold. But Niagara, we know, is absolutely in the midst of a rebuild. They might, with a compensatory fifth pick already on the books for next year in the first round, they might have two top five picks at this. I mean, we don't know. And I don't want to, I don't want to paint the ice dogs into the bottom of the Eastern conference or the league by any stretch, but we know it's a rebuilding year for that uh, team based in St. Catherine. So here, here's a one more quick note on the ice dogs. So I, I go to the rink on Sunday where the Rangers had fan fest outside and then the game versus the ice dogs inside. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to kind of, bird dog this one from the view from my usual press box we weren't doing any broadcasting we won't start that until the regular season starts but when i got to the rink there were people in in my radio booth and so i thought well you know what me being me i'm just going to waltz right in there and say um excuse me but this is where i usually hang out who the heck are you and uh, the first guy to turn around and extend his hand says hi i'm darren oh like as in de bobble or the the new owner of the Niagara Ice Dogs. He says, yeah, I should have double-checked how to actually pronounce his name. I should know this by now. I promise to get it sorted out. But there was Darren along with a bit of his entourage enjoying the view from, which we have a very good one, by the way. We call games in Kitchener. And I didn't care one bit. I didn't need to be in the booth. I thought this is a good opportunity to go meet some random people at the rink. But it just turned out to be the new ownership of the Niagara Ice Dogs in Kitchener on Sunday. So there you go. Well, maybe maybe he uh, he owes you uh, an interview in an upcoming Ice Dogs Rangers game for that use of your spot. So maybe could you work this in your favor? Maybe this is exactly what's already on my mind. Uh, excuse me, uh, Darren. Remember that time that you were in my seat at the hockey game? You're gonna get in the hot seat now. We'll do a little interview for the uh, OHL podcast. He is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Find Dan on Twitter at Tim Wallach. Yes, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm at Farwell underscore 
OHL. Please give the podcast a like, subscribe, tell a friend about it, and send us an email anytime at ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Another episode comes out on Friday, and Dan and I are already planning a little chat about what the Ontario Hockey League might need to do now that it's coming back to quote-unquote normal. The pandemic's a thing of the past, so what's the future for the Ontario Hockey League? We talk about that on Friday's episode. Thanks for joining us on this one. It is the OHL Podcast. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.